welcome to Avatar The Last Korra. What are you doing? What are you doing, Hannah? Uh, David, the craziest thing happened. Uh, Korra what happened? season two ended, and now, like, I can just airbend. Whoa! It's a wild, crazy twist. So crazy! <laughs> yeah, guys, we're in Korra season three. <laughs> Yes, we're here. And like, you know, we're making fun of the dumb airbending bullshit. But also, I don't hate this season so far. Can I just say that? Like, it's, it's like, there's, there's a lot here that is working as opposed to season two, where like, nothing worked. Season two is over. It's, it's been a slog and season three is beginning now. And, uh, this is my favorite season of Korra. I mean, it's, I think it's just the best. Yeah. Okay. So I couldn't remember if season three was like the good season of Korra or not, but like after having watched these two episodes, I'm like, yeah, I think this is the good season. This is the good one. This is the one it that, It has the like, most new ideas, it's the least, like, fan, you know, servicey. wanky, and yeah. it's the least, like, just, <laughs> you know, over-the-top unbelievable kind of, uh, you know, when we get to right. next season, you'll find that it kind of dips into the ridiculous again. It, uh, it's, <laughs> I also think it's, like, a lot more introspective than any of the other seasons, where, you know, like, Cora actually takes time to, like have conversations with people that aren't just, like, plot conversations or they're right. for, like, emotional angst. Like, they're they're actually her working through thoughts and ideas as both a character and a protagonist. And it works! And it's good! And right. I want it! And also something that we didn't talk about too much with the last season, but I think is, is crucial to understanding why this one works, is the, like, everyone was pretty much split up for most of the season, mm-hmm. and it was just kind of finding things for people to do, you know? Tenzin right. is split off from the group, so he has to, like, figure out something to do with his family, and Mako's split off, and he has to be a cop, and Bolin has split off, and he has to be a mover star. But in this one, not everyone's not together all the time, but when they do split off, it's for a very particular character purpose. And I think right. that's uh, really important here. Um, yeah, I think there's so, a yeah. line from from Bolin. I forget uh, if it's in the the first. Yeah, it's in the it's in the second episode uh, of Korra season three, where uh, Mako's like, "I feel like I've been drifting apart," and Bolin is like, "So drift back." <laughs> And it's, like, the best thing Bolin's ever said, where it's, like, so then fucking hang out with us, and it'll be fine. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like that's the yeah. good ethos of, of a lot of what's no, happening. No, yeah, Bolin works when Bolin, you know, is the glue that holds the group together, the sort right. of innocent, naive, you know, going back, the Troy Barnes from Community figure. Um <laughs> You know, that's really important for him. And if he doesn't have that role, he's just floundering on his own. Right, Um, right. But yeah, let's just jump right into uh, book three, uh, Change. The the name of this book is Change. So we've moved away from, you know, air and spirit being these sort of like tangible things to more of a thematic unity for the book. And then the first episode is called A Breath of Fresh Air. 
And it's a joke because airbenders are a thing now. Like airbenders are happening. This uh, is because this is... Korra opened up the portals in at the end of the last season, uh, you know, for pretty much no reason, but it turned out to be a good decision because it means that now spontaneously uh, people are learning to airbend despite not being born with the ability. And it doesn't make any sense with any of the like established canon reasons for how bending works. Uh, you know, just throwing that out there. Well, I mean, it's kind of a soft magic thing, which I dig, you know, because I always dig soft magic things. Um, I mean, yes, You know, it's just but... sort of a spiritual balance has been unlocked by, you know, the fact that the gates were opened. Sure. I, it, it's just the sort of thing where they worked so hard in season two of Korra to... solidify this soft magic system where, you know, it's like the moon taught waterbenders or dragons taught firebenders how to harness the power of the sun, you know, like all of these really soft, like mystical sort of concepts from the original. And it was like, no, just some lion turtles who like gave people shit. But like, now we're back to like the soft stuff, which again, I don't mind but it, I just need to point out that it's in contrast with everything they no, set up. No, you're absolutely right. But I would just book. I would reward Korra for anything that it does to ignore what happened in book two <laughs> and pretend like it didn't happen. I think that's an inherently positive thing. Fair so enough. the way that we discover that airbending has has entered the world is we start off with <laughs> with the Uncle Boomy <laughs> falling off a cliff, and then he doesn't so, die. I guess it's a really good. fucking good thing that Korra opened the gates, because he would just be splat. Well, to be fair, he wouldn't be chasing a spirit if she had closed him. So. No, that spirit was already out before she opened the gates, remember? I mean, oh, that I was guess. the same spirit that Janora saw just sort of hanging around. Yeah, yeah. That's true. So again, like, what was the point of opening the spirit portal if there were already spirits that could get through? I don't yeah. know. It doesn't matter. Um, so, so we <laughs> don't think so about it. So, Boomy gets some airbending, and we discover it, it in the narration that it's been two weeks since all of the Michigas of the last season, uh, and you know now Republic City is sort of overtaken by all of these spirit vines and such. And Korra and Tenzin are trying to do something about it. And there's this cute little Miyazaki-esque spirit parade that's following them around. And as they're trying to uh, clear up the vines. Um, And and I don't know. Like, there's some weird stuff from the reporters here. Where they're talking about, like, a lot of, like... Forced integration and new world order, and I'm just like, yeah, why? I I'm extremely uncomfortable with the metaphors that they're trying to set up here. I mean, yeah. first of all, like these vines are essentially like, and they're essentially a disaster. Like right. that has struck the city. Um, they're not, <laughs> they're not just like a group of like people moving into a neighborhood that you don't want to move into your neighborhood. Right, it, but. It- the water is cut off, you know, <laughs> transportation is cut off. Like, these are not the things that happen because of, like, forced busing or whatever. Oh, like, right. very uncomfortable with the integration versus segregation narrative that's being presented. <laughs> it's it's 
really, really strange, and all the reporters sound like they're from, like, libertarian or far-right, like, news sources. It's like um, spirits are, spirits are, are black people. Yeah, It's a perfect or, metaphor. Or immigrants. They're exactly the same. Just like black people, spirits, um, are invisible, they can't communicate with humans, they don't uh, they, care about uh, disrupting... destroy things by their very existence. Right. Disrupting the the natural order of the city with their weird ways. And right, they don't unwilling... they don't have jobs, they uh, you know, they just hang out in the streets all day. It's extremely right. uncomfortable. And it, the quicker we move past it and get to the rest of the season, the better. Yeah. Um, because it's not focused on very much this season. No, it's it's not. Um but you know, the president is really mad that his poll numbers are low, and Cora is also sad about her poll numbers, and it's like, why? Why? This is so boring. <laughs> why are it's, we talking about It was poll sort numbers? of banking off of the ideas. I mean, it's just really in this episode because they want uh, President Reiko to banish Cora, <laughs> which I is guess, that... like, revoke her visa. <laughs> I guess. Like, I mean, was she ever a citizen of the United Republic? You know, she was exactly. earning a paycheck as a, you know, as a sports person, I guess. Right, like, it's it's just so strange. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so, but, but this is where we see that the person who, you know, is standing beside Cora, like, as she is uh, talking to the president and giving this press conference is not... Mako or Bolin, it's Asami now, and I think this is the season where we really start to develop their friendship, um, which I love and And it's definitely a friendship here. I mean, the idea is that once you eliminate the idea of Mako as a romantic interest, because the writers nor the fans were interested in that, (laughs) um, you kind of have to pair him with Bolin, because that's the character that he has the most chemistry with, uh, you know, that he's not trying to, uh, you know, date. Um, and so that leaves Korra to need a new best friend. And so Asami is a perfect fit, except for that she's not developed that much. So we have to put some work into developing her. But But they do, and they do a good job. Well, they at least make her more likable. I don't know if her character develops that much, at least in these first uh, couple episodes. Right. But she's... She's at least more present. <laughs> yeah, she has lines. She's not just, my company, ah, doing quote-unquote business lady stuff, as Bolin so tactfully put it last season. Like, right. she's she's actually involved in scenes, which I support. Yeah. Um, and, and I also think it's it's... I'm just so glad that Mako is finally actually being paired off with Bolin to, like, do anything. Because it was a dynamic that had so much potential back in season one and has just been entirely underutilized. And I think they do a much... I mean, it's much... a real Bert and Ernie kind of situation yeah, that but it's going there. But it's delightful, you know? Like, yeah, I it, love it Bert works. and Ernie. <laughs> it works. Um, so, yeah. Basically, Bolin and I guess Asami also, I don't know, are living at Air Temple Island now with Korra and everyone else. Um, But Mako sleeping at the police station because he fucked around with too many ladies and doesn't know how to deal with it. 
Yeah, I mean, awkward Mako feeling like super uh, self conscious about the fact that he's his only friends are his ex girlfriends and his brother. And his brother. That I mean, that's a little bit too awkward for me. Um, and you know, he's like saluting the girls and just yes. being like, he's just being such a cop about everything. <laughs> um, and you know, it's not my favorite uh, mood for Marco, but it's 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 brief, you know, and it's mainly there to sort of spark the Korra and Asami thing, which is uh, a lot more uh, enjoyable. So they, you know, go for a drive, and uh, Asami throws Korra the keys to the car, and she's a terrible driver because she only (laughs) knows how to drive polar bears. Classic. Um, And then they, uh, you know, they kind of make fun of the fact that they both dated this total loser. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, they say the line, whatever happened between Mako, I'm glad it hasn't come between us. I've never had a girlfriend to hang out with before and, like, a million ships. Or a girlfriend to date. (laughs) To date, yep. Because that'll come later. Uh, But, like, like, this is what I'm talking about when people say, like, there there was absolutely zero groundwork laid for for season four Korosami stuff. And, like, I just, I disagree with it so strongly. And we'll get to it more as we get there. But I just want to point out all of the Korra Asami moments as they happen this season. Well, okay. But I'm just going to point out uh, how poorly they handle a different love interest uh, okay. arc. Yep. Or two. And basically use that those as counterexamples to show that none of this was intentional, uh, <laughs> you know, ship, ship bait, you know? None sure, of it was intentional sure. shipping fodder. I... I <laughs> I believe you, but I think at some point they they realized what they had done and were kind of like, all right, we can we can run with this. Um, all right. Either way, so you know, there's a a guy who discovers he's got airbending powers and he's uh, ends up on top of a bridge and Cora has to like talk him down and she's got a cool like staff glider thing now that's blue and is fun. Um, and so uh, she tries to talk him down, doesn't work, he falls off, or well, it's about to work, but he falls off the bridge, and Cora saves him, and the crowd cheers, because a guy almost died, uh, and then the yeah. president's like, you're causing a ruckus, get out of my city. <laughs> like, like right. it feels like he actually exiles her, because she's annoying. Well, I mean, it's not just that, it's also that earlier, she tried to, uh, you know, get rid of the vines, and ended up only making things, like, ten times worse. Worse. Because the, yeah. the moral of the story that they're going for is that you have to accept change no matter what, no matter, like, how bad it is. Um, which, I mean, I guess, like, yeah, you can't you can't rewind, but you should be able to, move you forward. know, move forward. And, and that should mean that you have to learn to, you know, control these vines and, and, you know, make them a part of the city, which does eventually happen, but it's... It's not like the the mistake is that they're trying to get the vines off of these like residential homes, <laughs> right? Um, in order to get them water, you know that's not <laughs> a bad thing. But it seems exactly. like the more that she tries to bend the vines uh, using her spirit magic, it's like f- fuck no. And then the vines just come <laughs> back and start smashing buildings, right? It's, 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 it's very undefined why it's not working and, like, why what she's doing is wrong. But we're just yeah. told to accept that, like, this is here to make Korra struggle. 
And I mean, there is something to it being, uh, you know, like a nature, like you have to coexist with nature thing, kind of undoing right. the overly um, urban focused morality right. of the last two seasons being like, well, wow, we haven't done any Avatar uh, protecting the environment stuff at all. Holy shit. <laughs> um, let's, let's reintroduce that as a theme. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I don't remember, because, you know, she gets exiled from the city after this episode, so we, mm. we kind of move away from this. But it, it comes back later in the season, if I'm not mistaken, or... Yeah, very briefly. Um, yeah. But it's not really a focus of the season. There's other yeah. shit to deal with. Um, Alright, so then, yeah, I don't have anything else about uh, episode one. Well, there's to... there's the theming that they talk about. So, like, Tenzin okay. is there being like, change can be good or bad, depending on your point of view, which is the whole right. point of this season. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> right. Uh, it's an, it's another sort of empty speech, uh, which I think you know Cora is just full of. Yeah. Um, like, of course, change can be good or bad. Like, duh. no duh. <laughs> and two people can have can disagree on whether it's good. Like, no duh. Uh, but you, you know, the point it. is that the point is that uh, Cora can no longer connect to her past lives, and so now Tenzin is like her sole mentor, right. which was kind of a dissonance in in the first season. I mean, sure, it was fine because she wasn't very spiritual, mm-hmm. but um, you know, in order to have Tenzin be a character that makes sense to have. You can't have Avatar Aang showing up to, like, supersede his uh, ideals. Oh, right. You know? right. It's like it just... Aang doesn't also have a weird mentor. He just has Roku and all the other Avatars. Right, exactly. Um, and it, it, it either undercuts the Avatars or it undercuts Tenzin, and neither of which is, like, a great dynamic to have in your show. And uh, then we end on a, a sort of cliffhanger introduction to the villain of the season yes it's a good fight scene um but i (laughs) i did want to mention that he like locks them in a cage that he was locked in it was like good luck waiting for the next shift change it's in three weeks but like there are definitely earthbenders in there and like they could probably get out i don't think there were they were all firebenders weren't they no because he's like in this like earth prison and they had to like bend the earth to like open oh you're right it. there were metal benders extending the bridge <laughs> i forgot yeah. there's at <laughs> least a metal bender or an earth bender so like they're gonna get out of there but all right it, it's a nitpick well, thank god um, <laughs> so now we're on to a good episode with a bad title it's called rebirth of a nation Oh shit, what the fuck? <laughs> That's a bad title. Like, you don't want those connotations. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah, like, it's literally the rebirth of the air nomads. <laughs> but you, why would you want to have Birth of a Nation in your kids' show where they really uh... don't understand the historical context? Right, I think they were just like, Birth of a Nation's a title, what if this is Rebirth of a Nation, and then just ignored the context of, like, what that actually was about. Like, I I just don't know. Uh, But the rest of it, it has nothing to do with the themes of Birth of a Nation, pretty much. Um, Or does it? Or does it? Let's dive in. (laughs) In our 10-hour YouTube video essay. 
Um, right. So the the new journey for this season, and I like that we're on a journey again. Yes. Is that uh, Cora and the gang are going around to find all these airbenders and sort of try and proselytize to them the way of the air nomad uh, to kind of try and rebuild uh, a functioning air society. Since we do, even though we have a united republic, we do still have an earth kingdom, uh, a fire nation, and water tribe, you know. Right. Why, um, why not Why not air temple? Why not? Right, and, and you know, like, as, as we've seen that there are sort of, like, air acolytes, who are people who don't have airbending abilities, who you know, have sort of volunteered to basically live as, like, air nomads and care for the temples. Um, and, like, that's who we we saw sort of uh, Tenzin interacting with uh, last season. So mm-hmm. we, we know that there are people who are willing to take on this lifestyle. Um, so Tenzin's hope is that they'll go across the Earth Kingdom and anyone who's become an airbender will just want to join them again. Uh, and it's... It's not the case, which makes a lot of sense. And I like that they do it this way. <laughs> right. Um, um, so, yeah, we're going around in an airship, which yes. is, uh, you know, funded by Asami. Asami's kind of the, the money I, man. Yeah. Like uh, Frank Reynolds in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. She's always, <laughs> you know, funding their schemes. Yeah. And uh, everyone's coming along except uh, Mako. Because Mako's got a job. He's, He's the only got a employed job, guys. member of the group. <laughs> also, it's awkward because I kissed both of those girls, and it's weird. Blurg. Uh, yeah, and this he... is where we get Bolin sort of being like, you gotta Mama. come, you know, we're brothers, we're family. We're family. But but Mako's afraid of having a family again, because he is, you know, still feeling the loss of his original family you know yeah yeah and and he's afraid that if he joins this family he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna be sad again it's a classic sort of uh trope yep um i I, I dig the hell out of it (laughs) meanwhile the the bad guy breaks more people out of more cool prisons um like, these well, prisons let's, are let's so talk about extra. What, you, what is your initial impression of Zaheer as, as a villain? Like, I, it's a lot of curiosity. Because we are just sort of shown, like, how just, like, straight up, like, cunning and kind of badass he is. And, like, how, like, he and, and it looks like his companions, they all use elements. But they use them in these, like, really specific and interesting, or at least new ways that we haven't seen people use those elements before, um, mm-hmm. you know, which, which I, I like, um, yeah, I don't know, like, I, like, at this point in, in the show, I definitely feel like he, he's got, like, like, he says at this point, you know, like, I became an airbender because I was blessed by the heavens or something like that, so it's like, it's, it's a sign that our mission is pure, um, which is, you know, a pretty z- intense, uh, zealotous way of, of speaking about something. Um, so he's definitely... Sure, I mean, I think that he's interesting because he has this knowledge, this lore knowledge that we don't have. Um, and, and that can make you just interesting as a character, just as a baseline. So he's super familiar with this, um... You know, ancient uh, guru uh, Lahima, 
who was an airbender who learned to detach himself completely from the earth and thus gain the power to fly without, you know, blasting bursts of wind from his fists. Um, and, uh, I, I find that interesting, like that this character is supposed to have sort of ancient wisdom and he believes in this, this ideology, this mythology, uh, that, that makes his quest just in his, in his mind. Um, which, you know, I guess, like, Unalak thought that his quest was just, but he didn't really try to justify it. He just sort of said, well, look, I just want to be the Dark Avatar. I want 10,000 Years of Darkness. Yeah, he was and just And Amon's justifications were all purely political, you know? Like, I believe in equality for these people. But, it, but I mean, even that was a front for his own power, you know? Like... Right, but I think I think Zahir more than anyone else seems to actually believe his own uh, rhetoric. Right, but we don't really um, know what that rhetoric is yet. We're just sort of getting hints of it, you know, the idea yeah. that he's sort of in tune with nature and he he wants to sort of uh, you know break expectations of of what the world is meant to be. He dislikes authority. We already sort of are getting hints of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a criminal of some kind, but we don't know what he was locked up for. Right. Uh, so it's, you're right. It is a lot of mystery element. And then the fact that he goes around and he's freeing other benders uh, who mm-hmm. have m- more interesting kinds of bending uh, right. from also super secure prisons on the other side of the planet. Right. Um, and also the fact that he is instantly recognizable to these guards, like, once they see his face. Like, he is a right. a known threat, um, just not known to us, the audience, or to, like, the m- main gang, like Korra and Mako, Balu, and Asami. Um, but... <laughs> right, so in this episode, he frees two benders, right? Um, yes. Gazan, who's a... a a lava bender, or a magma bender of some kind. Yeah, he it's like can intense turn rocks earth into bender. lava. Yeah, um, and then I forget what the girl's name is, but she can do like Ming-Wan. water arms. Yeah, she has. She's she has no arms, uh, so she has that disability. Um, but she can create arms out of water because bending is about moving the chakras, and your chakras are still there even if your limbs are disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so it's pretty neat, uh, and then we're told that Zahir has a girlfriend, and we can assume that she's sort of next on the list uh, for a breaking out. A breaking out. Um, yeah, so we're all getting on this ship to go find more airbenders. Um, Bolin convinces Mako to come by saying that they're going to Ba Sing Se at the end of it, so we'll that's the where family. they're, you know... Yeah, that's where their family came from. I, you know, I don't know why they've never thought to try and go there before, you know, once right. they got money and ability to travel, but or I like, guess they were kind of busy. send a letter or something, you know, like, it's, it's Well, like, they don't strange. know the address, you know, that's, they were only babies when... That's that's very fair, that's true. When their parents um, died. But yeah, so, you know, they're they're bopping around the Earth Kingdom on this little map that Mako makes up of reports that he's gathered from somewhere, I guess, about uh, airbenders popping from up. From the police station. Yeah, you know, because they all, you know how often it is that your regular old police station in New York City has 
reports on. All right, well, he called the FBI. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's, it's just, it's, it's fine. I don't need to nitpick it, but it is there. Um, anyway, so they're going around, and, you know, the first guy they meet is this farmer, and, you know, they host this beautiful dinner, and Tenzin's like, can't wait for you to come join me on Air Temple Island or the Northern Air Temple or wherever they're going. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I have a family. Like, I'm not leaving. And yeah, I don't know why he thinks this approach will work. Like, I he's just know. a really bad, you know. He's a super um, bad missionary. Evangelist. Missionary, yeah. yeah. Like, he's horrible at it. And, like, he, he somehow, and I know it's being played for comedic effect a little bit, but... Yeah. It's the sort of thing where he says the exact opposite uh, thing that's going to, like, appeal to whoever he's talking to. You know, he talks to a lady in fine clothing and says, oh, you'll love our natural cotton blends <laughs> of our robes. And she's like, no, thanks. Um, and, you know, like, other people are like, oh, you'll love the the flying bison being your best friend and you know he's allergic you get to, to animals eat, or whatever. you get to eat all vegetables and you have to shave your head right and none of this is the kind of stuff that you would talk about when you first do the you know hello my name is elder tenzin and right. i am here to tell you about you know he's he's a mormon he's a jehovah's yeah. witness he's right. he's knocking on people's doors telling them what religion to be exactly um, and saying that it has to do with their ancestry you know Right, but then it's the sort of thing where, like, it also doesn't. Like, these people had a different ancestry and just happened to... The RNG came up on them for, yes, Airbender, you know? Exactly, that's exactly what's happening. Um, but you can imagine, like, for, for uh, you know, the type of person who, like, doesn't have a lot of meaning in their life, you know, like... Where do you think all the people come from for these these religions? Right. You know, they're lost people, people who seek a purpose. And yeah. I feel like a lot of them who would have been, you know, given this sort of power and not know how to control it would would also sort of fall in line with, with the religious aspect. I, I think that's totally. super believable. But he's just yeah. going about it the wrong way. Yes. He's, um, it's, and it's interesting because for as, quote-unquote, spiritual as Tenzin is... Like, he, he focuses on basically all, like, physical manifestations of the lifestyle. And, yeah. like, material. It's, it's interesting. Um, but so, you know, Bolin comes... Bolin, ever the showman, comes up with the idea that they need to put on a show at the next town and just sort of, like, convince everyone that being an airbender is cool, man! You yeah, want to and I said cool. it last season, and I'll say it again. Bolin as a showman, as a guy who understands the crowd and the yeah. people, is Bolin at his best oh, and yeah. the least irksome. So Correct. they they do. I mean, it's classic. Like um, these shows, uh, you know, like cowboy shows, basically, where like right. they say, there's a bandit on the loose, <laughs> and old Sheriff Tenzin has got to stop him. Right. It, it's it's interesting because somehow this scene in particular really makes me, like, nostalgic for Avatar in, like, a way that none of the other, like, direct call... Right. None of the direct callbacks to Avatar have ever made me feel. You know, like, this is... I'm like, yes, this is the dynamic I want. Like, the gang hatching this weird scheme that'll kind of work but kind of not 
to try to accomplish their kind of bizarre goal that like any normal person would be like, why are you trying to do this? You know, like, what do you mean you're going to take down exactly. the fire Lord? You're one 12 year old boy, but they're like, no, we've got a plot. <laughs> and, <laughs> we've got a plucky, <laughs> plucky ingenuity. Right. Um, exactly. <laughs> and, and yeah, so they, they put on a show Tenzin does some airbending, Korra does some airbending, Janora does, uh, and then they're like, even Boomy, who's only had his powers a week, can do this! Uh-huh. Um, I do and then like they that... flip Mako up in the air, which is always fun. Yeah, it's great. They, like, lo- Korra's low-key torturing Mako, and then she, like, giggles and smiles at Asami, and Asami's like, haha, nice. <laughs> Yeah, is he, like, the butt of the joke now? Because I yeah. dig that. It's the best. Like, Mako's the best in this season because everyone's like, oh, you're so self-serious? How dumb. And suddenly, like, <laughs> the show is like, oh, right, this is what we were supposed to do with him. Like, remember when we made right. fun of Zuko a lot? Yeah, right. Um, Great, perfect. So, so yeah, already just miles better than anything season two. Uh, right. So anyway, the show only inspires one person uh, yes. to come join them. A lovable and little... And that's Kai. It's the new Aladdin! There's another freaking street rat. It's just street rats all the way down. Yeah. It's, it's another street rat <laughs> who steals shit, uh, but we don't know that... Oh, we do know that. Yeah, they, they come and get him. He's a little, he's a little, you know, little orphan Annie uh, with suspenders and, right. a, you know, a weird haircut. And, and he's just, face. like, coming out and here like, I'm an orphan. Come adapt me. How's about that? Yeah. But then it turns out he's a grifter. Yeah. But, like, it's so funny because he just fucking straight up tells, like, the most classic-ass sob story to these goddamn rubes and they're all like oh poor baby and then yeah it's like no the cops show up i do have it's to insane ask. that they don't have to check with anyone though to just try and yeah. kidnap this child i know i mean it's crazy like they're bad people because yeah. anybody would be like all right wait hold on a second why I don't mean, you take me to where you live and i'll see you know how you're living Right. And like sure, he could then try and trick them again by like showing them a trash can and saying, "This is my house." But <laughs> like, they still should like try to check some more boxes, right. go to the police, see if there's anyone missing a child before right. they just kidnap him. Because <laughs> Tenzin does like, "What about your parents?" And that's when he's like, "They're dead." <laughs> <laughs> and they're and like, "Oh, okay." And he's, they're like, "All right, great. Let's let's go." Um, also, like, the, the quote-unquote gang that he is running from, who's just the cops, they show up after everyone's already on the airship, and, like, they could have just flown away, but, like, Cora's like, yeah. no, I'll kick their asses, but also, how did the <laughs> gang know they were on, that he was on the ship? Like, like, what? I think they saw, somebody saw him go on, I don't I, know. I guess, it's, it's just... It's bizarre, uh, but they end up taking him with them anyway, as it's like, ah, oh, he's a criminal, we'll reform him at Monk Boot Camp. Hooray. Uh, so Mako's, right. but Mako Mako's got But Mako is still suspicious him. of him. Yeah. Mako's still a narc, you know, he's yeah. a cop. A he's not into this cop. jolly jolly, you know, let's just take the criminal with us, or he's gonna rob us blind. Yeah. Um, which, I love that, because it's all about his insecurities about himself, yeah. you know? He still right. thinks of himself as a bad criminal, so he's worried that, you know, that Kai is, you know, just like him, you know, right. saying anything to get ahead. Right. Um, 
I, it's good. Mako's arc is good. He's good. <laughs> it's I, crazy. Yeah. Listen, it's it, it, they were it, something was bound to work eventually, <laughs> and we get yeah. season three, and it does. Um, and it ends with Zuko. We get to adult Zuko. He's still alive somehow, I guess. Um, I mean, not somehow. Katara's alive too. Good but... tea. It's because of good tea. <laughs> yeah, it's all that good tea. And he's got a cool dragon that he rides, and he knows about all the Zaheer breakouts, and he's got to go warn some people, basically. Uh, right. And, and that's, where, that's where it leaves us. Yeah, so we're on an adventure. We've got villains sort of percolating in the background, but that's not our focus. But it still feels like there's stakes, which uh, was not something that we had in either of the last two seasons before the villain showed up. Right. Um, it's it, it's solid. I mean, I'm I'm invested. Totally. Uh, and we'll see Absolutely. where it goes. Yeah. Um, okay. So, whew, guys, we're getting into like the the thick of it in in avatar you know like yeah this was the midway point and they really pivoted hard i mean they boom they hit you and and it's like for the next like five episodes it's just like nothing but like really intense plot and character development you know like mostly plot i mean it's mostly plot it's it's like a ton and we get some absolutely gorgeous episodes um so specifically today we have uh episode 10 the library and episode 11 the desert which was aired as a two-parter and i don't know if you remember the like live airing for this but it was like a huge event and like there were like months of waiting for it and like it was marketed as a movie it wasn't marketed as like a two-parter broadcast on the same night it was marketed as this is the avatar movie and so i expected it to have a bigger budget i expected it to be like way more epic and i was really disappointed by this when i first saw oh interesting okay i mean Um, i yeah I, I remember being disappointed at first be just because I thought there was going to be more goofy, fun stuff around, like, them going on vacations. Um, <laughs> and that, that really turns out to just be, like, the inciting incident to get them to this particular right. place. Uh, but, like, I don't know. There's just so much, like... There's so much in both of these episodes. Like, the library is so wildly plot-heavy... And then the desert is just, like, it's a bottle episode, basically, where they're trapped and wandering in the desert, and, like, emotions are really high after the ends of the last episode. And, like, it's just powerful. Right. But, I mean, it is still just two episodes of a show that often has this level of, you know, epicness. That's true. I true. I, I will like, say... I mean, the desert versus the chase. I mean, like, it's hard to compare these two episodes. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... Uh, I like, mean, I... This is the normal level of Avatar. <laughs> right, right. So, so okay, I think that's fair to have been disappointed when you were expecting more than right. just, like, solidly good. You were expecting right. sort of over the but top. But these are solidly good episodes. But they're, exactly. they're absolutely amazing. So, as I said, it starts with them sort of, like, picking vacations um, since Aang's training is coming along. And Sokka just wants to strategize and wants a map of Which the Fire Nation. Which is smart. It, and it's very in character. Yeah. And it totally works. Um 
But, you know, Katara picks this sort of desert oasis, and so they try going there, but, you know, it's become run down in the time since Aang was last there a hundred years ago. Yeah. It, which, it's another example of them having this ecological storytelling right. as just tied into the world building. Like, mm-hmm. it's not even a plot point, really. It's just the world building is that this was once a big, beautiful ice spring where just ice burst out of the ground in the middle of the desert and no one knows why. And so everyone, you know, gathered around it and formed a community and it became this beautiful landmark. And then over time, people just started chopping it up to make little ice bowls mm-hmm. uh, that they could serve fruity drinks in so they could commercialize the place. And then they destroyed it. Right. Um, but, but like, none of just that a is... tiny detail. But none of that is text. It's all sort of, like, subtext just shown through visual storytelling. And, like, Right. I mean, it's, it's all awesome. text, but it's just well, it's yes. done visually. It's not yes, exposition. Yes. yes. Um, um, so, yeah, while they're, so while they're there, uh, we get a joke about Sokka liking girly, fruity drinks. Uh, but then they run into the baddie professor who's looking for a magical library with all sorts of knowledge. And then so Sokka yeah. is like, that's where we're going for my vacation. I mean, I, can I just say I love Professor Zay as a character. Oh, yeah, um, he's the best. As just a one-off. Like, he's so cute and innocent, and yeah. he's so interested in knowledge, and he's like, ooh, Aang, you're a living relic. What's yeah. your main agricultural product? <laughs> Uh, right, and, and he just gets and like, he's, like trying to talk to Appa to like yeah. learn about what it's like to be a flying bison. All right, um, and it's and he's just like absolutely like delighted by everything about Aang and anything that he's able to tell him. Like he's like the ultimate like cultural appreciation like anthropologist, um, and yeah. <laughs> He just loves knowledge. He does. He's just a, a scholar in his own right. I mean... He just wants to know. Uh, he's so a gentleman and a scholar. Yeah, so we're going to Wan Chitan's library, which you might remember from the bad way it was used in Korra to be bad. Uh, and yeah. a, a callback. But this is where it started. <laughs> um, right. So, yeah, yeah we're, we're flying through the desert, and, you know, there's a good reason why we need Aang to be there in order to discover the desert, because the desert is just not walkable. You know, you just right. can't, you can't survey large portions of this massive desert unless you're doing it from the air, and the only way to be in the air is if you have a flying animal, because this <laughs> is the past. Um, right. So, yeah, like, they help him, and then they spot the, the just the tip, just the tip. Of, yeah. of a library. Um, and they're able to go in. And I, I just do want to call out that while they're looking for it, Toph, Toph is just, like, uninterested in this entire ordeal. She's like, I can't read books because that's not how my power, like, that's not how earthbending works, and I'm blind. Um, and, yeah. like, I can't help you look for this library from there because, again, that's not how my earthbending works, and I'm blind. Um, and she just right. gets like, which isn't to say that she's useless. Correct. In this episode. Correct. But... She's very useful. Um, but like, you know, I just like the fact that like every time they show us how powerful Toph is, they also remind us that she does have like these limitations, and it's not limitations that like she's like 
sad about. She, like, fucking dunks on everyone else for forgetting about it, you know? Like, yeah. she she just has so many great one-liners in this episode. <laughs> yeah, in this one alone. It's, it's so good. Um, anyway, so, so they go into the library, and the Wanchitan is like, humans are all the same, you just want to use knowledge to destroy other humans. And Sokka's like, no, man, we're chill. It's the Avatar. <laughs> Look, we're fine. And so they all have to donate a piece of knowledge. Um, yeah. And like, I, I think Wan Chi Tong, I forgot how much, like, his motivation makes a lot of sense. Yes. So we've already had this kind of hinting that, uh, uh, that Zhao was the one who discovered this secret library and that he went in and took the knowledge that he needed to, like, try and kill the moon spirit back in season one. Right. Um, but now we find out that he also burned every piece of knowledge having to do with the Fire Nation, which evokes Nazi book burning, and, you know, it's very evocative um, stuff. And so Wan Chitang now has decided that, you know, he distrusts humans who want to use... Uh, who, who want to use knowledge for war, which is exactly right. what they're there for. Right. It's, so he's it's not great wrong. because he's right, you know? Yeah. He's right and he's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so he, I will say he does spout some kind of elitist bullshit as far as, like, knowledge value when they're, they're donating their knowledge because, uh, you know, the professor has this great tome of literature... And, you know, Katara has, like, Well, a... it's actually his notes. It's so... He's, right. like, it's first edition. Ooh, that's <laughs> that's very rare. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so, like, he's into this that sort of shit. And then, you know, Katara has a waterbending scroll with, like... It's just high quality with, with great illustration. And so he goes, oh, yes, excellent. And, you know, Aang's like, it's my wanted poster. And he's like, rah, 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 rah. and Sokka ties a right, knot. Right, but I mean, and he's like, I think there are smart, like, scales of knowledge, and he still accepts that as knowledge, uh, as well as it. Sokka's special knot. But uh, but I think, you know, he he accepts it begrudgingly, and it's this this idea that you know having artifacts from the past is not an equally valid way of obtaining knowledge versus you know, just having someone's notes about what happened in the past. Well, I, I don't know. I just think, like, having a rare waterbending scroll versus a mass-printed wanted poster. Uh, maybe, but maybe the mass-printed wanted poster is a really important piece of history, but we won't know until 200 but, years But, from I mean, now. a fox could go get a wanted poster. The whole all point right. is that all of his knowledge is gained in the world by sending out these fox spirits to go steal knowledge from humans. Yeah, yeah. And back they come. Uh, and so, you know, they could have easily, you know, stolen a wanted poster. It would have been no trouble. But to get a one-of-a-kind waterbending scroll or the notes of a professor who's looking to publish, mm-hmm. I mean, that's something else entirely. All right. I I, I get it, but eh, I still I don't agree entirely. Um, I was anyway. just like, Wanchi Tong's voice, his design yeah. as, like, this owl spirit with, like, kind of eyes in the back of his head. Mm-hmm. Um, it's perfect. It just feels mythic and real. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he, uh, he he just, he's good. He's a good spirit. Yeah. yeah. So, um, eventually, they, they come across this one piece of paper that say, 
something happened on the darkest day in Fire Nation history, and they they find this really cool sort of like planetarium uh, where you can sort of put in the date and it'll show you the the patterns of the sky. Um, and they find out the big news that firebenders lose their power during an eclipse. And it was an yeah, eclipse. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's interesting to compare this to, like, harmonic convergence. Yeah. Where, like, that is just a completely out of nowhere, like, yeah, when the planets align, the portals open. <laughs> like, it's random. And then here, it's, like, something that feels causal. And because it feels causal, it feels mythic. The sun right. is what gives... Uh, firebenders their power. Sometimes the moon goes in front of the sun. Sometimes firebenders lose their power. Um, right. When the moon and isn't full, waterbenders have less power. When the moon exactly. is blown up or destroyed, they have no power. <laughs> right. Like, it, it tracks with what we've already been shown about how powers work in this world. And, you know, exactly. it's a logical conclusion based on things that actually happen in nature. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's much stronger as sort of a cosmological event than harmonic convergence. Um, but oopsie, oopsie, Wan Tong shows up and he's like, you fucking traitors. I trusted you. You tried to use the knowledge to, to kill your enemies. I knew it. I knew it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So then he's like, I'm going to sink the library. Uh, so then Toph has been hanging out outside with Appa because she's like, nah, I'm good out here. And Appa doesn't like to go underground, which, again, both firmly established facts at this point. Um, and, you know, they're they're hanging out and Toph is kind of bonding with him and it's cute. But then uh, as, as the library starts sinking, Toph is like single-handedly like keeping this thing up, which just like... Yeah. Holy shit. Not only is, like, she strong enough to do that with her earthbending, but also, like, she's technically working against a spirit god, you know? <laughs> like, it's yeah. kind of wild. Uh, this kind of becomes her role, though, is just holding things up. Holding things up. <laughs> and waiting for everybody else to do the fun things. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, but so, she... She, she's really handicapped in the desert, though, because the sand is shifty, so she can't see well, basically. Um, and she's She has a not... disability, Hannah. She's oh. not handicapped. Oh, sorry. She's... <laughs> no, I but... can, in context, <laughs> that was the correct usage yeah. of the word handicapped. I was like... <laughs> Goddamn. Um, sorry if I've done anything wrong ever. Um... <laughs> Right, so, you know, she she's at a disadvantage here. You know, her, her powers are not at the, the skill level that they normally are, and so she's basically forced to make this decision once these sandbenders show up and try to capture Appa about whether she tries to free Appa or keep the library from sinking. And it's, like, a heart-rending, like, scene to watch. Because, like... Oh, it really is. Toph is this ultra competent person and like she is just absolutely struggling and unable to do these two things simultaneously and like Appa's like beloved we've spent like a season and a half with him at this point and you know like he's being taken like we all feel that you know like it's an emotional scene 
Right. And it wouldn't happen this way if, for example, Naga was taken, because right. Appa and Aang share a bunch of scenes together. Appa is very firmly a part of the comedic relief. Mm-hmm. He is a functional plot element. He's the transportation. He's functional. And he's, uh, you know, more or less integral um, to a lot of fight scenes. Like, he yeah. fights alongside our heroes. He's not mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, a tool. He's a character. Right, absolutely. And and specifically in this desert, like, kind of their only source of hope a little bit. Um, of safety, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're trapped out here in the know, desert. So so the gang manages to make it out uh, after Sokka and Except... Aang discover, well, Sokka and Aang discover when the next eclipse is going to be before Sozin's Comet. So they've got that date, which is, you know, sort of yeah. our new, our new ticking time bomb, our new clock. Um, yeah, it's a great ticking clock. It's, it's fantastic. Great. It's perfect. Because we've already got a ticking clock that's, you know, before the comet arrives, and now we have a more refined ticking clock for a specific plan. So right. it's great. Right. It's good um, It's it's excellent. And it and it happens like half a season before we actually get to the the day of Black Sun. Um, if yeah. not even more than that. But so um whatchamacallit? Yeah, so so they all manage to get out except for the professor who's like, Listen, y'all, I just am a sucker for knowledge, so I think I'm gonna stay <laughs> and they're like, Uh, I bye uh, so they yeah, leave it's kind of insane because like the the place is literally filling with sand. Um, I, but like, but I, like I, I don't know. Hey, you know, you do you. You you do you, and I, I like to think that you know he he doesn't die immediately, and that he and Wan Chi Tong have great great times hanging out in the library. But uh, well, who, that's an who interesting am I? theory, but this nothing one. to substantiate it. No, no. All we know is that in Korra, his bones are in the library, uh, so we know he dies there exactly. at some point. Um, but yeah, so you know they manage to get out, but Appa's gone, and Aang's fucking pissed and sad. Toph is sad, and that brings us to the desert, and. Yeah, I think this was kind of a waste of a cliffhanger, you know? Like, this is the best cliffhanger maybe in the whole show. Really? they wasted it on a two-parter where it gets, you know, like, they get out of the desert in the next episode. But, like, you gotta get out of the desert in the next episode. Like, how much can you do in the desert? Of course, but this was an amazing cliffhanger. You had no idea what they were going to do next. They were trapped out in the desert. It was the perfect irony, dramatic irony. Like, we know that they have this key piece of information, but nobody else in the entire world knows this plan, and it could die with them. And they very easily could die. They have no resources. They're trapped in the middle of the desert, Mm -hmm. and uh, they have no transportation or guide. Right. Well, I mean, I think they do a good job of making that all feel really present in this episode. It's just by the very end, they manage to, like, leave. Right. But I'm just saying that the broadcasting schedule, like, literally, just the fact that this was not something where you had to wait a week to find out what happened. That's the waste. Got it. All right. I'm, I'm, I buy that. I but, buy that. I mean, the the episode is fantastic, the desert. Yes. I mean, I'm just yeah. saying that they should have split it up. They shouldn't have marketed it as this movie because <laughs> it's such a brilliant cliffhanger. It's such good television. Yeah. And you made it, you made it just the halfway point of a special. Right. 
Maybe anyway. they thought it was maybe they thought it was too dramatic and kids would cry. Maybe um, they did. But anyway, so yeah, they're out in the desert, they need water. Katara has some bending water, but you know, it's kind of nasty. It's more of a weapon than a source of sustenance. Right. Um, you know, they they're they're sort of wandering around and and really this is the episode where Katara's role is and I think she literally says it at one point where she's just trying to keep everyone together. You know, like she's, she's got serious mom energy. In yeah. This one. Right. And just, I, I just fucking mom <laughs> energy out the wazoo. I, I wanna just like give the art direction on this episode like just such major props. One because some of these backgrounds are, like, absolutely gorgeous. Like, they look like Dali paintings. Like, you know, these, like, mm. in thick, intense shadows on the sand dunes and, like, these, like, just stunning sort of, like, scenery shots. But then, like, the first episode, or the, the, the first scene of this episode, the first shot, is it's the gang all facing away from each other, looking out at this vast, like, endless desert. Um, and yeah. it's broken when Aang turns and, like, basically starts accusing Toph of, like, losing Appa on purpose, which is just, like, a grief reaction, you know? Um, yeah, and I think he recognizes that almost immediately, which is why he just flies off. But, like, this is him, like, abandoning his friends because yeah. his first and best friend right. is Appa. Um, right. His only yeah. connection to his past, too. You know? Right, it's a lot. It's a big, it's a biggie. So he just kind of flies off without them, and then just in a rage, like, you know, strikes the earth as hard as he can with his, <laughs> you know, airbending. Yeah. Um, and, like, like, there's just really good, like, like, this is just a good episode. Like, go watch this episode if you haven't watched it in a long time. Because I, I think there's a lot here um, just to, like, enjoy like seek your teeth into um and there's also some great moments like classic fucking moments like uh all the cactus juice shit with Sokka where he trips out on cactus juice and yeah I'll be honest this didn't hold up for me no it didn't hold up that much either but it definitely you know when I was 13 this is the funniest shit in the entire world like exactly I mean like, it's the same thing if you go back to season one when they have the flu and Sokka just starts saying things I see I still like that I don't know what it was about that but I I, <laughs> I don't like either of them I think they're both you know like they're just they're funny when you're a kid and then yeah. when you grow up you're like all right well eh. there are other things that are funny Right. I think Momo on Cactus Juice is funnier than Sokka. <laughs> Momo on Cactus Juice is great. He flies around in circles and then just falls into the ground. Um, yeah. And I do like the line later in the comedy. episode where he continues to just eat strange foods and he yes. says, you know, I've I've got a curious mind. Yes. That, I, I agree. Like, that is great. Um, and, and I love that Katara is the one sort of keeping everyone together. I think it's a good use of her determination that we see. Um, you know, just she just has time. endless patience. It's really, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't like, know, like it's not fair to her. It's not, but you know, she she fucking nails it. And I think there's lots of things in life that haven't been fair to Katara, but she like is so determined that she'll she'll take them on. You know, 
Um, yeah. I think it's a big part of I like of the, the way that they give curvature to this story. Um, you know, it's hard to give curvature when you're just walking in a linear direction. I mean, we saw that in that episode of Doctor Who. Um, oh, where God. they're just walking through a desert oh. uh, and just encountering one thing after another. It's so But bad. in this one, it's really like they're walking and they're lost and then they try to follow the stars and then uh, there's, you know, they're running out of water so they try and find water places so they see a cloud and they're like, oh, that cloud's Appa. But no, it's not Appa, it's a cloud. But then Katara realizes, oh, you can bend the water from the cloud into the pouch, right? and that's fun. And then, you know, like, just when it seems like they're not going to make it, then Toph, like, finds a, 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 a sand a sand boat, because <laughs> that can exist in this world, uh, you know, out in the desert. And, right. and that's, that's how they eventually are supposed to get out. But then, instead of that leading their way out, it just leads them, like, basically back to, like, the middle of the desert, because they've found the magnetic center. Right. Um, it, it's, it's really interesting. And I think, you know, if we're talking about what makes, what makes this desert episode different from the really bad Doctor Who desert episode, um, there's a B-plot in this one. Like, there wasn't really a B-plot in, in the last episode, but here we get, we finally see Zuko and Iroh again, um, when I believe the last time we saw Zuko was him yelling at the heavens, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, they were, well, yeah, they were, like, out in the world, and uh, Iroh was still healing from his wounds, and, yeah. Right, right, so, you know, we, we get Iroh and Zuko again, uh, and the rough rhinos come back, and they have to sort of escape from them, and, uh, turns And Iroh out... reveals that they're a singing group. <laughs> yes, they're also a quartet. Um, what genre do or... you think they are? What, what kind of music Definitely do you Definitely Barbershop. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah, that's so good. I'd love to hear that. It's a shame we don't get to hear that. I know. It's really uh, underused, the Rough Rhinos. Um, but so, you know, so Zuko finds out that Iroh used to know these guys, and Zuko sort of makes the comment, like, do you have any old friends that don't want to attack you? And he goes, oh, yeah, I do. And this is where we're introduced to the White Lotus. And tell me what you yeah. think about the White Lotus. I think it's fun. I mean, it's 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 more lore. In this world, there's sort of an Illuminati-style organization that considers themselves outside of the boundaries of the four nations, which is important because other than this, we don't have any evidence that anybody cares about world peace or, you know, that anyone is friends with people from other countries. Right. You know, it's like people are really you know, just kept in their own places except for the the Ang gang. Uh, but here we see that, no, there is some connection, there is ancient wisdom that opposes this, you know, unjust war. And, and that's important for the themes of, you know, the wisdom of the elders being an important thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Like, re-watching sort of the introduction to it here, there's some part of me that, like, this, more than anything else, feels just kind of Orientalist, you know? Like, like it feels like it's using a really? lot of... Yeah, and, and maybe that's an overreaction on my part. Um, well, I just don't see anything that's, you know, exoticizing uh, the, the organization or anything. It just seems like it's, you know, the Illuminati. You know, it's like any... It's, it's like the... Um, 
you know, it's like the Freemasons. It's just like any secret organization in any story that you would tell. I guess. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I what is it that I, makes you think, like, that it's orientalizing? There's something about, like, the language that they use and, and sort of the, the secret code um, is, you know, who knocks mm. at the garden gate, one who has eaten the fruit and tasted its mysteries. Like, like it just feels like maybe it's just the fact that these code words that they're using are so, like, kind of general and, like, mysticism-esque adjacent mysterious but i just don't think that they are exoticizing the the world that that these people inhabit i mean who knocks at the guarded gate you know it's like who goes there i mean it's just pretty basic and then i've eaten the fruit and tasted its mysteries like everyone eats fruit (laughs) (laughs) i eat fruit I don't right. know. I think it's I think it's an interesting observation. I just it, I'd like to see you, you know, sort of look more for, you know, how that sort of plays out. I mean, right. like Pi Show as a game um and like the the white lotus tile, it's mm-hmm. sort of like taking off like chess being heavily involved with like secret organizations and ancient rituals. Um, right. which is, you know, more of a western thing. I would say if anything, this more westernizes more than it uh, you know, orientalizes the world all right i i I think i see that um if if you guys listening have any thoughts on this feel free to tweet us at talking tropes or or comment uh and let us know what your thoughts are um but yeah so so they discovered the white lotus and uh basically it's this connection there's this illuminati group of people who's able to get uh zuko and iroh passports to bossing say um right um, so we've got the two bounty hunters from uh you know from back when toff was introduced right uh, back from the blind bandit they end up trying to catch a bounty on uh, zuko and iroh just on the side while they're looking for toff right um, just because they happen so to that's be an, there yeah it's something to give them something to do and they are interesting you know in sort of their dynamic the sort of rich versus poor dainty versus uh, brutish. Right. Um, Both driven by money, so, though. Yeah, so I don't... I'm not bothered by them being no. in this episode. Um, I almost wish they were used more, but, I mean, I guess there wasn't that much more for them to do, and this right. second half of the season is so packed. Um, it's so packed. <laughs> so, I'm just glad they had something to do before they get reintroduced again in the finale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that was also part of it, is, like, you wanted... The, the showrunners wanted to have them just keep reminding you, like, hey, they're here, they're doing things. Just remember that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... One more thing before we, like, wrap up this, uh, you know, side plot. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so they, you know, they get the, the ticket, you know, the, the passports to Ba Sing Se, where they'll be safe because they can blend in with refugees. But before that, one of the characters... Uh, is, like, busting into the room that they're hiding in. Mm-hmm. And someone says, hey, that room is for flowers only. Which I thought was <laughs> a really funny line. <laughs> I mean, it's a good line because, you know, they're in a flower shop. So you could think that, you know, like, oh, only flowers go in there. But also it's got the double meaning of flowers being members of the White Lotus. Um, right, but it's just like, can you imagine like hearing someone say that room is for flowers only, and it's like, what? So you don't go in to put the flowers in there, and you don't take the flowers out? out. What do you mean it's for flowers only? 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So, so back in the main plot, um, they're at the magnetic center and it's this basically a hornet's nest or excuse me, it's the buzzards cause they're half bee, half buzzard and get it. Cause yeah, they're actually buzz, called so. like, like, uh, buzzard wasps or something. Yeah. Or something, something like I that. Just, but yeah, I they're just, buzzards. Yeah, they're buzzards. <laughs> it's a good joke. Well done, everyone. Um, but they have, like, this weird honey that Sokka eats that continues to make him hallucinate just as he's, like, getting over the cactus juice. And, you know, Toph doesn't know how to fight things that are in the air. Um, and one of them snatches Momo. The guitar and, is out of water because they right, drank it all. Right. So, you know, they're really at a disadvantage here. It's kind of all on Aang a little bit. Um, right. And Momo gets snatched. He goes after Momo, saves Momo. And then in this really out of character moment for Aang, he just like straight up murders this bug, like this bug. Yeah, I mean, we don't know if it like died from that hit, but it certainly looked it's... like a powerful hit intended to knock it out at least. I mean, um, and it, he wasn't, it... he was flying away. So yeah. I mean, that was very vindictive on Aang's part. Right. Which is normally not the Aang that we're used to seeing, you know, like we're just seeing all of the ways in which losing Appa has just like truly affected him. So basically all of this yeah. hubbub has attracted the attention of a bunch of sandbenders who come to sort of be like, what are you doing? Stealing sandbender property. And Aang's like, fuck you, you guys took my bison. Um, and Toph's able to recognize one of their voices as one of the people who did take Appa. So that really puts Aang over the edge and he ends up in the Avatar state. And everyone just, like, fucking runs, except for Katara. And, like, God, this final scene is, like, you just feel how tired Katara is and how, like, emotionally draining this entire experience has been but still she like walks forward and like basically calms Aang down and like brings him out of the avatar state again and like he's just clearly so angry and grief-stricken and it like it's an emotional end to this episode like it gets me man yeah i mean uh i, I when i first watched it i thought it was kind of cheap for him to just sort of you know, go into the Avatar state right at the end and then to be sort of instantaneously calmed down, um, you know, in in some of the other times when he goes into the Avatar state and, and Katara calms him down, she has to, like, talk him down and be like, we're family, you know, like that, those kind of things. And this one, she just kind of, like, grabs his hand and he's like, yeah, all right. Um, because... I, I, I thought it was a little cheap. I, I, I don't know if I agree because... At least when I was watching it this time, like, they've just been through this grueling experience. Like, I do honestly think that they are all exhausted, you know? Like... Of course. They... And and being angry takes so much energy. Like, you know... I, th I think when we're experiencing grief, like, feeling tired is such a big part of that like because you're you're just going through so much and it's exhausting and i think you know katara just saying to him like i i think if she had done a speech it would have felt corny and cheesy and i think the fact no, that she's just like here let me give you a hug because that's really all i can do for you and like i need that to be enough and like ang 
Aang's response to that wordlessly is basically like, yes, that that is enough for now. Like, I'm hurting and I just need some comfort. And, you know, she's able to provide that. And I I really like that. I think I think it's it's strong. Um, Yeah. But will they find Appa in the next episode? Dun, dun, dun. You'll have to listen to find out.